Yeah, but I, I just missed last year's, and I came in and uh, uh, I made sure to buy tickets for the fourth one, and right. um, so, and they kind of hinted that they almost got Nicolas Cage for year three, but yeah. uh, they always save a seat for Nicolas Cage in case he shows up, and so, and then this and he actually showed up, and so he showed up with his long tang tan, uh, not tang tan uh, leather jacket, which he's a tall dude. Anyway, right. but uh, I was like, man, I, and I'm a tall guy, and uh, I was like, man, that is a seriously tall, tan <laughs> leather jacket you have on. Uh, and uh, and he just started uh, doing a cold reading of uh, the Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, with like no introduction. Not that he needs one, but apparently he needs uh, Poe's. <laughs> he loves that poem, and and so uh, and so he just read it, and <laughs> it took me a while to realize, like, hey, are you reading? It sounds very familiar. What is it like? Oh, you're reading Edgar Allan Poe. It's like, and then it took me a while. I was like, wait a minute, Nicholas Cage is reading <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe to me right now. It's just like very weird with with a small collection of my two hundred of my close friends of that like Nicholas Cage. So that was kind of weird. It's but very uh, cool. Yeah. So and then um, but yeah. So that was pretty awesome. Like yeah, uh, my my hobbies. Pretty much include uh, going to the Elmo Draft House. Pretty much, that's like I love uh, the Elmo Draft House. I was there three years ago uh, for a teachers' conference of all things. Oh wow! And I and yeah, I was. It was downtown, mm -hmm. and then I I literally walked from downtown across one of the bridges all the way to the Elmo Draft House just to see a movie in the Elmo Draft House. Oh wow! Walked all the way back. It was it was great. Oh, so you had to cross the uh, the Bat Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I know which hotel you're at. Like but yeah, uh, so you see the bats and all that's like what we're known for. I don't know. I didn't see any bats. Or, um, <laughs> but I guess I wasn't on the lookout for bats. Um, yeah. No, I, I really, really like Austin. Um, um, do wish I could I could visit again, but I've made a, a rule for myself that uh, essentially I won't be visiting the US um, while your president, president is in power. So... Um, <laughs> To oh, the well. point of even having to take a, um, I won't even be doing stopovers. I'll just, uh, I have to go to the back to New Zealand, um, and so I'll be going. The Air New Zealand uh, does a flight from Vancouver on Thursdays, and only on Thursdays. Normally they route through um, Vancouver through Los Angeles, but they do a direct flight from Vancouver to Auckland on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. So I'll be taking that flight. Well, I bet that also, like, yeah. is that less, less TSA? I mean, like, you want to deal with TSA. Well, well that's oh, that, the thing. Is it less hassle as well? Is it's that... less hassle. It's it's shorter. Um, but it's also just, quite honestly, it was always a little scary crossing the U.S. border even before. I've Why got is that? Various, oh, just they, they're scary. Um, I've been stopped at the border and basically told I can't go through. This was, this was 10, 12 years ago. Um, for just reasons they, they just basically made up on the spot. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it was always intimidating and scary. Um, and I'd rather not do the hassle. Um, and quite honestly, with the way things are now, especially with the, 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 the way the TSA is acting towards other people, I just don't mm -hmm. feel like being part of that process. So, okay. yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Flying international is always, always trouble. So, 
Yeah, well, if, on top of it. Yes. yeah. If I I'm a dual citizen of Canada and New Zealand, so if I get stopped oh, nice. at, the, at the airport there, <laughs> I have have either end I have real problems. So that's not yeah. an issue. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, going through the states is the, right now. I don't want to contribute to it. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I can understand that, but uh, yeah, so definitely go through Vancouver is a lot, a lot easier. So we went through Vancouver recently, right? Vancouver, yeah, cool, yeah. So you're actually, you're actually going to Australia. You're going to all. Vancouver. No, New Zealand. Or New Zealand. So you're going. To, oh, okay, New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's, I guess that's shorter than going the other direction. Yeah, well, yeah. it's shorter uh, in terms of layover. So it's yeah. a um, it's a sixteen hour flight, right? Um, yeah. To uh, from uh, Vancouver to Auckland, but okay. if fourteen hour from um, Los Angeles to Auckland, but yeah. you combine that with a flight from Vancouver to Los Angeles and a um, and a two hour layover. So all told, mm-hmm. it's just faster and easier to go Vancouver to Auckland direct. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I didn't. Yeah, I always think about going the uh, going east rather than west. So uh, if I were to go there. So, okay, cool. That's awesome. Are you going for a conference, if I may ask? Uh, no, no uh, my family's all back there. And, oh, nice. Uh, oh, really? And I take a, um, I have, because I'm a teacher, I have the benefit of a two-month summer vacation. Okay. So I am spending, I try to go uh, spend time with my family, extended time with my family every three years or so, yeah. uh, because it's simply not worthwhile trying to fly down there for like two days and fly back. So you lose two days either way, right? It's because yeah, yeah. of yeah. time zones. Yeah. So it's not worthwhile going for a weekend or anything else like that. Um, but um, uh, the opportunity came up, so I'll be uh, going down there for yeah for two months and then flying back. Right. Yeah, you definitely want to take a extended like, stay. I I got an invite to a conference in Asia, and they're like, um, and they, they I was like, yeah, it's great. And like, I was like, yeah, you just come here for two days. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's gonna take me yeah, two days. No, I'll travel. I, I do that. Exactly. I, I have a plan. I'm taking a sabbatical in, or I plan to take a sabbatical in 2018. Okay. And one of the ways that I, that I hope to, you know, fulfill that time is to essentially say, okay, well, I'm going to try and take off some conferences. Mm-hmm. And when I do so, I'll just extend the time there because yeah, okay. you're, you're totally right. It's like you fly, in, I've done it in the past. You fly into a city and several cities often in a row, you wake up and you feel like you're a member of Aerosmith because you have no idea where <laughs> you are and no idea you know, it's it's simply light outside, and that's okay. it. You sort of stumble into the venue, um, oh, and I'd far, I'm, I have a much better time of being in a place and truly exploring it for a week or so. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so, that's yeah. a lot more fun to me. Yes, I'll not make a crying driving Aerosmith song reference at all right now. <laughs> so, ah oh, man, Aerosmith of the of the nineties. Oh man. Sad. Okay, uh, yeah, let's just get started. If you don't mind. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, as I just destroyed uh, everything with that Aerosmith joke. Welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, we talk with Deli Story, a Smashing Magazine contributing editor, teacher, and conference speaker. He's co-author of a new book called Using SVG with HTML5 and CSS3 that comes out this spring. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. Please be sure to follow me on Twitter at Telejekt, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T, 
Also, the CSS DevConf 2017 is happening this October in New Orleans. Early bird tickets are on sale at cssdevconf.com. I'm hosting the uh, SVG Summit. It's online in the virtual world, uh, February 15th, with Chris Coyer, Sarah Drasner, Amelia Bellamy Rhodes, and many, many more experts that you can listen to what they have to say and ask questions directly. So uh, definitely grab your ticket now. Uh, you can take 25, you, know, you can actually take 20% off with the code Non-Breaking Space Show when you register now. Uh, you can set it, forget it with the Non-Breaking Space Show newsletter. So whenever a new show is ready, you get it delivered into your email box at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Also, you can find show notes and links discussed in today's episode with Deadly Story at nonbreakingspace.tv. As always, if you like the show, please let others know about the Non-Breaking Space show and where they can find it on iTunes. That helps us out immensely in getting the word out. Now, on with the show. Deadly story. Thank you for being on the on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Cool. Uh, I just you know I love your I love your blog posts. They're they're educational. I point to them pretty much almost every week. I think I feel like, which is great because you have some great stuff there. So so uh, definitely I would say uh, great work and please keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank and you very then, much. Yeah, and uh, I just want to find out more more about what you're working on these days uh, besides you know, blogging and teaching. Uh, do you teach interactive? Is that, is that what you're? Yeah. Uh, I'm in a, in a somewhat curious position. I uh, do uh, teach, uh, excuse me. I teach a uh, program that we call new media of yeah. which web development is only a part. So the students actually learn video production. They learn audio production they learn design, they learn layout, they learn photography, and they learn a good portion of it as web development. But, but it's definitely accessorized with a lot of other material. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, it's curious because it's not one of these um, real hard full-time kind of boot camp type programs. So mm-hmm. I'm not able to do as much uh, web development as I'd like to. But that's also balanced by the fact that the students get a really nice overview of, yeah, they can do video and they can do photography and they can, they can bring all those skills into this program. So it's also longer. It's a two-year program. So uh, that's, that's what I do. And aside from that, mm, not too terribly much else. I do writing. I'm uh, f- currently finishing off a book, which is HTML5, uh, sorry, SVG with HTML5 and CSS with Amelia uh, Bellamy Royds for O'Reilly. Uh, I've got uh, the SVG Summit coming up with you. Uh, I've got a bunch of things um, on the go, but they mostly all revolve around some degree of web development. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, this sounds like a problem. Yeah, because like, uh, did this new media program happen recently, like to include video and audio? And- no, no, it's it's always been designed that way. So it's okay. been designed as a new media program for the last um, 15 years. I've been, wow. I've been part of it for 10 years. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting deal. Um, the downside is that it is through a, uh, a traditional accredited college. So yeah. you do have the uh, challenge of trying to keep the material up to date um, with with the whole college approval process, uh, but we've we've wrangled it in such a way that I can 
um, do you know, really up-to-date stuff. I mean, literally uh, this morning, I was giving a lecture on CSS variables, for instance. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's proven not to be too much of a challenge. Okay. Um, so you're still in control of your own uh, syllabus, it sounds like. Yeah, right. yeah, very much. Um, okay. uh, because they basically trust me as the uh, person of, of, of a um, uh, so-called expert in uh, the materials. So yeah, I can do it uh, and change it on a very regular basis as I do. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I find that like very refreshing because um, I went to uh, I got my master's degree in interactive communications, and uh, I learned uh, about CDs <laughs> and CD yeah. ROMs, and yeah. uh, and uh, uh, it was so cool. Like the concepts are still uh, like I was. It was actually uh, CD marketing um, using uh, because you know now now we do like ad banner like what Google does pretty much and like what marketers do with ad banners and, and tracking and everything like that. So it was basically like right. tracking people if they played CDs or something like that well on the internet and stuff like that too. So but uh, I was like I was like how many people are still using Macromedia Director? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is hard, but it used to be really bad. It used to be um yeah, you'd go into a web design course and they'd teach you layout with tables and all sorts of really bad stuff. And that, that still exists. But yes. I think um of late, of the growth of the hacker schools, the growth of the the cram schools, has okay. kind of addressed that to some degree, um, okay. which is nice. That people, if, if they really want to learn the stuff, they're committed for you know two months, eight weeks, sixteen weeks, they can mm -hmm. go in and really get an intense job on it, and they can keep things up to date because of that. Yeah. So this, this is one quick story I'll take. Like I went to my master's program for interactive, and of course we had like. You know, it was an accredited college. You know, whatever. So, um, um, and I've I just written um, the first edition of the CSS cookbook, and ah. they were like, and they taught me. Uh, they said like, okay, we're going to teach you how to build a page layout. Drag a table. I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, can we just use yeah. CSS? It's like, well, if you want to, but we're going to teach HTML tables. Like, right. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So it's kind of funny. Like, you no, know, I literally just wrote this book. Um, like we could totally do with CSS, guys. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you like you, you talk about the hacker schools and stuff. Do you have a, like mm -hmm. a? Uh, I'm going to do this emotionally charged question, but do you have a beef with uh, hacker schools or code schools or? I like I have a bit of a beef, um, yeah. and it, but it's it's mostly because there is tends to be for totally understandable reasons there tends to be such an emphasis on tool sets because they have to rush through things, right? So they have to take very um, tool set oriented approaches of, okay, we're gonna use Ruby and this and this and this and this, and basically build this tool stack to get you the results. And the problem with that is that because of that rush and that, that push to get results, again, totally understandable, the underlying technology tends to get neglected. So you, you don't actually learn HTML, and you, or at least not to any real deep extent. And you don't actually learn CSS, again, not to any real deep extent. And to me, if that's the wrong way around, that if possible, um, you should really turn things around to, um, okay, we, we're gonna learn things from the ground up. Because my, my rule is that in, in general, those tools are gonna go away, right? Mm -hmm. the, the 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 React, the whatever it happens to be, 
you see it right now, right? You see people just falling over themselves into these new wonderful uh, tools yeah. and then it's gone in six months, right? It's, oh no, this is the new hotness and this is the new right. hotness, which is not to say that those skills aren't transferable. They are, but it becomes this, you're a hamster on a wheel. You're just constantly chasing a new shiny thing. And my rule is ultimately a web page or a browser understands HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and some media formats. That's really all it does. So if you understand those underlying things, you can grow from there into whatever technology stack you want. But if you go in the opposite direction to the technology stack, you, you have this barrier to, it's kind of like looking through the wrong of a, of a, of a telescope and you're not actually seeing the output. You're just trusting that the output is there, right? But it, yeah. but it works. And you can see it in the browser and fine. It, it does its thing. But there, there tends not to be an emphasis on performance, on accessibility, because of those reasons. You're trusting the tool to get the result. And I would much rather have the, okay, let's learn from the ground up. Yeah, I definitely feel like uh, with some tools, well, yeah, also tools just change all the time. Like, you know, I just, right. I, I just learned about Yarn to, as a replacement for Gulp. I'm like, well, what? Yarn? Right. right. I was like, oh right. my gosh, seriously. And then, of course, then we'll have like, like Cheetos as an uh, as the next thing. I don't know. And uh, yeah, so definitely tools change over over the time. So, but uh, yeah, I do find like there there is a whole. You know, I was just thinking uh, recently, and the course I would love people who are professionals on the web to have is a certification on how to write semantic HTML. Right. And I would just I would just because. Uh, people who who are programmers and engineers uh, would scoff at the idea that they need to know like how to write semantic HTML, and they're, they're just like, "Cause like I know HTML, I know what I'm talking about." And then designers would you know help and learn like the structure of a document very well, like it would help them so much better and some of that too. And but but now we're getting to this like whole like module components and modularization of a of a document and kind of just deconstructing what it means and to to. You know, and it's great for web apps, but in terms of having a, a page or document, which there still is a web, it's it's kind of like, you know, we still need to have this kind of structure um, for, for moving things uh, for a document, pretty much for the web page. And so I think that's why I feel like it just, uh, because because if you, once you have semantic HTML, and, and this is kind of like in the pretest, because of, of accessibility courses, right? In terms of learning accessibility, right. like if you have a semantic HTML, you're like, you're almost there in terms of, you know, you're actually showing that you care about accessibility and, and right for for users about that too. So and, and I'd, uh, I'd like sorry, I'd like to think that that kind of no course and that kind of knowledge would ultimately make the tools better because it's it's engineers that are making the tools right. So if they know the output better, then they know to make the tools better and they can feed that. And then I have less of a problem with people using the tools. Mm -hmm. Part of the issue is that people, like I said, people use the tools and trust the output, and right. the output sometimes often even isn't all that great um and so yeah it, it would be nice to have that that like i said ground up kind of knowledge that's kind of mm -hmm. lacking a little bit are, are you still working for smash magazine as an editor i think i read that in your bio yep. that cool how yep. is that uh that's good i um my problem is i haven't been able to contribute too terribly much i've been a little bit busy over the last couple of months uh with the book and a couple of other things but yeah, I really enjoy that. Um, I I've sort of had a, a little bit of a sideline recently as a as a technical editor as well, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking over uh, Sarah Dresner's new uh, SVG book, uh, SVG Animation, mm-hmm. and uh, technically edited that and a couple of other things. So the the editing part of the Smash magazine has slightly fallen by the wayside, but I hope to get back to it this month. Um, And yeah, no, I really enjoy the aspect, the same aspect in classrooms of finding new talent and and bringing it up and exposing it to the rest of the world. Um, That's that's a really powerful thing to me. Um, And Smashing Magazine helps me do that to some degree as well, which is excellent. And, and grooming the, the thing. Because again, people who know this material really well aren't always necessarily the best communicators of it. And so if I can kind of be the intermediary of, yes, I understand what you're saying, but this would be a better way to, to explain it and, and, and share it with other people, that's really helpful because it allows them to get their content out there and appreciated by more people. So, you know, I, I love being an editor. I love doing that kind of work. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I definitely agree because that's one of the things I love about uh, uh, my job is uh, to find speakers and do the research and, and find new talent who might not be speaking or blogging a lot. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that's that's one of the things I love, love about it. So, so is that part of your job is just to go, I, I don't know what a special magazine editor does. So I was just like, so it's just like yeah. Finding work, sometimes the people will approach me directly. Sometimes they'll come through the Smashing Magazine um, author submission form, um, and it's it's a it's a very nice process with Smashing Magazine. Again, I can't speak to other um, magazines, but uh, although most of them seem to take on a similar sort of approach of this very thorough review and um, that goes out for at least two technical reviews each each piece of work. And it's it's a process usually of several weeks or several months to, to get a piece up to, up and running, which again I really like that that they don't just turn around and accept anything and throw it onto this onto the screen, um, and which again which most of the other um, uh, online sites that I'm aware of that I respect at least also do to some degree, but uh, again there's some that just don't. Um, so I like that, but. It's a little slow and sometimes annoys authors a little bit of, I want to put my thing out. Yes, I understand, but we've got to with this and we've got to make sure it's done well and done thoroughly. Right. Uh, Well, it's also the web too. Like you can publish your own stuff if you want to. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If you, if you want to put whatever you want out on your own blog, then go feel free, my son, and have fun. But for our purpose, ultimately we are responsible for the material that goes out there. And so therefore we need to make sure that it's done well and done really thoroughly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause uh, I wrote a couple of pieces for, um, for an online magazine and, and it did go through, I don't know if it went through a bidding process uh, or editing process, but uh, it did take forever for it to get published. And I was like, yeah. you know, by the time it got published, like someone had already beat me to like, you know, you know, the, uh, the cool part. Of, uh, right. article. So that's like, right. maybe I should blog more. <laughs> like, cause I, cause if I blog more, it would actually have been, been out there. And uh, yeah, oh, it's, it's all about the, the rapidity of what you want to do. Right. If, mm-hmm. if it fits inside a tweet, go tweet it. Right. Yeah. If it, if it, if it's something really cool that you've just discovered and you just want to put it out there, but it's a little bit longer, sure. Put it out on a, on your blog, mm-hmm. but there's this balance between, um, something that's breaking and cutting edge and explaining it really well at the same time. I mean, that's how 
and part of the way that that good standards get adopted, right? Of it's not just a good standard, but it's been explained really well, and it's it's been shown use cases really well. I mean, I admire the hell out of Rachel Andrew, for instance, who's done tremendous amount of work with CSS grids, right? And part of the reason why I'm really hopeful for the future of the spec is because she's put in the hard time to really communicate it really well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's necessary to do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she's done a great job. She, I think um, it's also because she actually like uh, co-runs uh, Perch CMS as well. Right. So right. it's, it's you know, she's actually like kind of like, you know, the phrase eating her own dog food, if you will, don't mind me. So that, uh, is that the fact that she's like, She's probably using Perch for her website and uh, blogging, and she just blogs and uh, you know use, probably using Perch if not something else. But she's blogging it. Uh, she'll write uh, elsewhere. She speaks. She's a great speaker. We had her at CSS DevConf uh, last year, and so it was just great. So that, and that's like also like kind of gets back to what um, I would love to do is is, is uh, actually not just tweet, but uh, get the content. And kind of own the content and be in charge of my own content, and that's sort of like owning the domain and saying, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I want to tweet this out, but I want to uh, put this on my site, and then I have it automatically go out to Twitter or something like that." And so, but basically, there's a source where I'm actually in control of my own content that I generate. And you know, you see that a lot with uh, I think Jeremy Keith's site and what he does right. with his content. Also, uh, Tontek Chelik with his mm-hmm. site, which uh, which is um, you know when you tweet something, it usually is from his website. Um, or actually goes, you know, he goes back to his website. So, and I like that a lot more. And then that's, um, but, uh, but I feel like that's a, not everyone cares about that sort of thing. But uh, I think if you are going to like print and publish on the web, it's also important because also, you know, we kind of are losing Flickr, if you will, and from Yahoo because Flickr, like, I don't know, kind of Flickr, mm-hmm. Yahoo's falling on hard times. But like back in the day, Flickr was the place to go to share your own content, which is photos. And people would share photos and and uh, comment on photos. It was like it was a community group. Now, you know, I haven't published anything on Flickr in forever. But yeah, I have all mm-hmm. these photos on Flickr, and I need to like rush in there in case it happens to Yahoo, um, and get those photos and take care of it and control. And, and so all of a sudden now, you know, instead of having photos in a shoebox somewhere, I have, uh, which you know, if if you know, a server dies, the shoebox is still going to be there. But if the server dies for Yahoo goes away you know you know i don't have any copies of, of this photo so it's right it's, it's a big issue in terms of i think in terms of uh, digital curation of your own content that you create and making sure you manage it and so and um i think some of that is a problem of growth of like growing with the web and and seeing how it goes but also um uh you know i think people who are you know now getting on the web has a, have a little bit easier time of dealing with it because of uh, virtual servers in the cloud and all that something actually move things around better and easier, but, uh, but yeah. So. No, that was very much the idea behind, uh, uh, the new code when I started writing it eight years ago, mm-hmm. um, was part of the, the problem was the CSS tricks had been had just started up about two years before that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, but there wasn't, a, there wasn't at the time a lot of really well-written, accurate, updated material that wasn't from the W3C, so it wasn't hugely technical, um, that could introduce um, web uh, web development content in a uh, consistent voice. So 
part of the problem was that you'd go and still to some degree, it's a sort of, you're bouncing through the web and you're getting information from different places, but there was, it's all information from different places. And it's basically your job to try, to try and distill it down to some sort of solution in your head. Mm. And what I wanted to do was to build a very thorough, consistent um, glossary slash use of, of HTML and CSS and, and eventually JavaScript in such a way that it, if I talk about a function and you don't know what the idea of a function is, there's a link right there to say, okay, here's my writing about functions. So it's all interactive. And again, it's not to say that it's perfect. It's not to say that it's, that's all encompassing, but um, that it's consistent and that people can go through it as a, as a learning material. And again, that was something else that kind of didn't happen on the web for a long time was, especially for free, was I want free consistent, well-written learning material that is built as a curriculum. And so one of the things I have on the blog now is, is reading lists of all of this stuff. So if you want to learn about functions, here's all the stuff to learn about functions, right? And you can read through it point by point by point. Um, further to your point about um, things going away, yes, that's a, that's a very real concern to me. And I, I tell my students, and I don't quite get it because most of them are 18 to 21 years old, that, mm -hmm. hey, eventually Facebook is going to go away. <laughs> it's eventually going to disappear. It, it's just going to happen. Uh, it'll be bought out or it'll change into something or it'll just disappear. But eventually that will happen. And you are living, because I see them online as I'm trying to teach, um, living half your lives on Facebook. And eventually that's just going to go. And you are giving a substantial portion of your life over to that. And it's recording everything about it and selling you ads as a result. But it's recording all of that stuff. And when it goes, they could be like you know, the box of shoeboxes, shoebox of photographs under the bed that you don't really think about until you absolutely need it. But it could also be they're losing a big portion of their lives when that stuff disappears, which is, again, why on the new code, I literally built it from scratch. I built the whole CMS myself from scratch because it was like, eh, I don't want WordPress, I don't want anything else. I want it to be under my system. As as imperfect as it is, I want to own it and control everything about it so that I'm not reliant on any technology. There's no dependencies there at all. Everything's there that I wrote. I don't have to worry about plugins going out of date. I don't have to worry about anything breaking. It just works. Um, and that's why I did it. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. And in case anyone's listening, it's thenewcode.com. Um, so it's like when we say the new code, people are like, oh, it's okay. Uh, it's like they're talking about code or what? But yeah, yeah. New, new code. And uh, what I also love that, that you do is that you do like uh, kind of these guided paths for, for learning. Right. Like you call them core material or you might call them something different. But, but uh, reading lists, I call them. Yeah. Wait, what? Reading lists are called. Reading, reading lists. Yeah. 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 So you read lists. And so it's actually a nice guide path. So you've actually, uh, I think it's just a great SEO thing too. Like, like, right. But I think you get stuck on, I get stuck, but if you find one article, and then it has a context of, of where you are right? you, in, in the list. So you can actually go uh, further and go, you know, go right. back to the beginning or back. So, yeah, I think it's really great uh, to, to give that context of, of where that material is and, and where it's going. And so, um, uh, so, so the comment, uh, the question I have is like in terms of, uh, uh, I'm not sure the right phrase is content uh, fatigue, but uh, when content, when a web development goes out, out of, uh, no longer accurate. Do you just? Uh, I go back yeah. and update it. Yeah, yeah you go back I and go update back it. 
Yeah, yeah. I go back and update it. Um, there's been one or two articles where I've basically said at the top of the thing, because I wrote a thing on, for example, on drop caps, on how to do drop caps. Oh, gosh, six years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I basically put a little uh, thing at the top of, okay, yeah, this technique kind of uh, outdated because we now have this wonderful initial letter um, pseudo selector that you can do now for wonderful drop caps. So yeah, you could still use that technique if you wanted to, but here's a link to the new stuff. So it's all just again this 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 big interactive mass of material, and that if you if you drop on anything that's truly outdated, there's always a link forward to okay, here's the latest stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So that's good. And then, um, yeah, I was just think about the uh, half our lives uh, we get washed away with uh, Facebook going away. Just the that comment. Oh yeah, so. it's gotta be. It's it's totally. I totally believe that my students, when this happens, as they as they grow up, are going to be like people with the partial amnesia. They're just <laughs> not going to have this digital memory because everything's on there, right? And so yeah. they're just not going to have a life, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Their past lives are going to be removed. Yeah, and um, so Facebook is doing now, or it has been doing now, which is, I totally like it too, but I think it also belies a serious problem is that uh, they'll just pop like, hey, on this day in history, yeah. like seven, six, five, four years ago, I was like, that's great. Uh, however, the real problem is that I can't go back easily and look at my stuff, you know, in terms of... Right. That right. you know, and and, uh, yeah. and 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 it's in their interest for me to constantly update in my life into their right. into their server. So it's not like they're really banging on the doors and say, "Hey, here's your archive." Anyway, so or, right. or or here's a good export button that you can take with you and, and go to another service or import it, to like it, WordPress it install. Does kind of reinforce this idea of the. Um, the the ever present now that there's no past per se right because everything past six months is just wiped out and occasionally they'll remind you of some, some event but for the most part like you say it's difficult to find difficult to put in context and so life just becomes this ever present now and i'm not sure that's entirely healthy but no. that's the way it is yeah so yeah and i feel it's also just uh growing pains with um you know i just i, I don't want to I can only speak to, to American culture to this, but I feel like when I saw the web, you know, 20 plus years ago, you know, it just felt like, well, America is going to go have to go through growing pains dealing with technology. And I feel in some ways with our new president, <laughs> uh, we, we are, we're dealing with that right now. And also uh, with a lot of things like that. So I just feel like, um, and I felt like, well, this would be great when I thought about it like years ago, this is good for America because we're going to learn and uh, we're just, come out on the right end of it and now i feel like whoa <laughs> we might yeah. not be coming on the right so 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 it should be true and so that's why a lot of it a lot of it i think just comes down to mindfulness it comes down to uh twitter as an example and i love twitter but it has a lot of very real community problems that that most everyone is aware of and it's it's kind of like you can form a community and and shape the way that that community grows if you intervene early enough, if you decide to shape it early enough. The problem with Twitter and Facebook and other places is basically, well, we just want to grow to 100 million users. And mm-hmm. so we're just going to let everything happen and we'll deal with problems as they result and as they happen. And that's a reactive 
process rather than trying to be on top of things and start to say, well, hey, if we're going to go to 100 million users, harassment is going to be a problem because not all people are perfect and discrimination is going to be a problem. And let's try and think of tools before we get there. Let's try and think of solutions before we get to that point rather than as Twitter is currently and is, is having a very real problem with being on the back foot foot now and trying to constantly react to the problem. And that's a very real problem when you have 100 million users. It's not a big deal when you have 10,000 users and, right. and you can start to build it from there. Yeah, I mean, to the credit, like Facebook is always is also having this problem too with uh, fake news and, and harassment. Mm -hmm. But uh, but also I feel like, and I don't want to give them Twitter a toll pass, but I feel like Twitter, you know, had a lot of engineering problems to actually be Twitter. You know, to yes. actually archive it, and you know, back in the day, they actually had like a bake sale for servers. You know, before they got uh, right, and the farewell used to be around all the time. And, oh, yeah. actually, sorry, bake sale for for blogger. I'm sorry, I confused my startups. Uh, see, well, uh, but yeah, but Twitter, like, but Twitter, like, you know, they're they're like real time status messages is not that easily scales very well. You know, and then you know, farewell mm -hmm. is kind of like the whole concept of farewell, um, or the term of farewell. But yeah, so but yeah, at the same time, I feel like you know they 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 now it's not an engineering problem that they have to deal with. They have to deal with the cultural issues, right? Uh, but I'd argue that that maybe that's an engineering problem as well. It's a social engineering. It's not right. technical engineering. It's social engineering, and the two have to be um, thought of and and developed at the same time. You can't just say, well, let's address all the technical problems and then we'll get onto social. It's the two things happening at the same time. Right. Cool. Yeah, I yeah, definitely definitely agree. I just, yeah, I just don't know what solutions they would get, but I'm not a cultural engineer, so I don't have to do it. Mm. Uh, just, be, just be nice on the web, people. That's what we ask. If everyone could be great, then everything would be peachy. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, man. So, yeah, I do want to talk about uh, the book. Uh, it's uh, mm -hmm. using SVG with... CSS3 and HTML5. Uh, you're working with uh, Emily, Amelia Bellamy Rhodes and mm -hmm. uh, Kurt Kegel as well. Is that how you mm -hmm. say it? You know? mm -hmm. I've never. never. Uh, so uh, tell us about the book, if you don't mind. Oh, the, the book is just this uh, big. It's been tough. Um, and Amelia has put in a tremendous amount of work into it. Amelia is. is um, uh, one of the uncrowned, um, well, perhaps uncrowned um, um, royalty of the web. She's put so much work into the spec and knows so much about it. And so we're trying to build up this book to cover the technical aspects of SVG, uh, how to apply it in the real world, and looking forward to SVG two. So it's been difficult because it's been a with the development of SVG two, with the movement and some of the things that are happening inside of SVG in terms of browsers has been a little tricky as well. So it, the usual story is of uh, any time you're talking about web technologies, you're trying to address a moving target to some degree, and SVG perhaps more than most has been a little bit of that, especially with SVG2. Uh, but I think, I hope, <laughs> that the result is, is going to be really good, um, that it's addressing things thoroughly. It's not just a ooh, make a circle and illustrate it and they export it and here's your result. Um, it's, it's doing the O'Reilly thing, which I've always really admired, which is addressing things technically to a good depth, um, but it's also got this really nice, I think, creative edge 
to getting results and, and putting the work out there on the web. Uh, could you describe, I guess I, I hate to say this, but like, <laughs> like I'm not sure I'm, if this is a hard question or uh, mm-hmm. uh or a softball one, but is it, uh, can you describe SVG2 and how it relates to SVG? Like what, what does it mean and for what developers? It's, well, it's it's an improvement on. So to me, again, Amelia would be the, the person to really talk to about this stuff and she'll be in um, a conference uh, coming up. But uh, it's two things. It's a cleanup of the SVG spec. There was a lot of stuff that was inherited from XML in SVG that kind of isn't necessary anymore, that was thought of as being necessary at the time, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but really isn't necessary anymore. So it's a cleanup of the spec from that regard. It's a acknowledgement of the many ways in which people want to and deserve to be able to draw things realistically or, or at least more precisely with SVG. Uh, for example, um, strokes, to, to use a very simple example. In SVG, as it currently stands, you can draw a line, but you can only have a stroke through the exact center of it, right? So the stroke is going to be even either side of that. And SVG2, amongst many, many, many other things, introduces the idea of, okay, you can have a stroke inside and stroke outside, as well as stroke on the center, right? So... It's these kinds of reasonable things together with a lot of really neat stuff like mesh gradients and all sorts of other stuff that um, are starting to move into SVG as well. And thirdly, um, at the same time, which is again making SVG uh, too a little bit tricky, is moving a lot of the appearance stuff into CSS where possible. So it's, um, again, trying to divide up the presentation versus the markup and making that all clean as well. Didn't really dawn on me at the time was that SVG is not an image format, is it's a document format. That's kind of like, right. And and there's lots of issues with security for browsers for implementations with SVG. And I noticed, uh, you know, I worked with, actually I didn't work with. I kind of uh, uh, was an ancillary technical consultant with uh, uh, or advice given uh, not consultant, but uh, with Estelle Weil when she did the clown card technique, mm-hmm. and um, she couldn't get it to work properly with our lot backflips because of uh, security issues with SVG support in Chrome. And right. I think it was Chrome. So, and, and the issue came down to like, well, someone could inject a bad script or, right. or like with malicious intent. Right. Um, to, to Which is SVG. the same reason why it drives me crazy um, that you can't easily share SVG content on social networks, for instance. You can't attach an SVG image to a tweet, for instance. You should be able to, right? It's just a vector image. Um, but again, because of those same reasons, they don't. They know that in, in theory, someone could inject a script inside of that thing, which is both the power of SVG, but as you say, also some of the, it adds to those security concerns, and therefore they don't allow it. And it drives me a little crazy um, that that SVG doesn't still have the support that it could. So again, that's another aspect of SVG too that will hopefully start to clear those things up. Yeah, I'm not sure this is cleaned up in the latest version of WordPress, uh, but you, in order for me to do, to add an SVG image into WordPress through the Media Gallery, I actually have to get a plugin and install huh. a plugin, which is like, you know, which is the answer to everything with WordPress. Right. Thank you. Bye. Uh, enjoy the <laughs> tip your waiter. Um, <laughs> is that, uh, yeah, you have to have a plugin for everything. So, but yeah, so yeah. I have the plugin just so, so I can drag an SVG and they, not, they actually accept it. 
Uh, is, is this addressed in the SVG2 at all, or is it just like this is the nature of the beast? I believe it is. I would need to double check. I believe okay. there's a bit more of a separation of concerns. Um, I would, I would, yeah, I believe so, but I need to double check. Okay. Uh, well, let's, let's focus on how is, you've written a book before in 2013. Mm -hmm. So how was, you know, how was book writing for the web and for, for, how has this process been going along? It's been really good. Um, like you say, it takes a lot longer than you'd hope. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the the work required is, and again, I don't mean to toot my own horn or make anything else, but the work required is it's a lot. It's not like writing a blog, right? It's not like, oh, well, I'll just put something out there and, and you know, wait upon someone else to correct me and, and wait upon somebody else to, to add a, a good point. All of it sort of has to be in place and it has to be good to go. So there's a lot of work there um, uh, to be done. Uh, it's, it's really interesting in that um, I almost regard writing a book as 50% intellectual work and 50% physical labor because mm -hmm. I personally get to the point at which I physically start to hurt of just <laughs> so much writing and there's so much editing and everything else. And I'm trying to look at, at tools to try and make that a little bit better for me. But it, it really does. It's, it's, this, it's this physical endeavor to try and get this thing out there. Um, mm. But the result is very much worth it. I, I, I love writing. I, I love doing it. But writing a, a 300, 500-page book, it's a lot of effort. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a mental and physically, physical taxing thing because, one, you're, it's a lot of time in front of a computer where you're not really just doing anything, your body takes a takes a beating right. to doing it. But also uh, intellectually like trying to say like, is this what I'm saying correct? One, to tech check it. Two, uh, am I saying it correctly? Like grammar, mm -hmm. uh, it is the uh, you know syntax correct. Also, am I presenting it in the order that makes the mm -hmm. most sense mm -hmm. for it? Which I always find like, it's great. Yeah. yeah, and trying to distill complex subjects down into an approachable, understandable communication is both the greatest challenge and the greatest joy that I have, I think, as a teacher, as a writer, as everything else. I, I live for, one of the things I live for, is uh, what I call the light bulb moment in class. That's reasons, one reason why I continue to teach um, classes like traditional classes is because you can really see the moment that someone gets it and they go, oh, or even a class, ideally, right? Several people, you can see this, this imagination start to take off and you can see, oh, they've really got it now and they're starting to go with it. And um, that's, that's wonderful to me. And it happens at a remove with books. It happens directly inside the classroom, but it's a really great experience to have. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I worked on this one book that um, I just did it and uh, there comes a point in time when you write a book, like for me at least, when I am just uh, just disgusted with it <laughs> and I want to, oh, yeah. I, I can no longer write it, uh, write it anymore yeah. and so that's when I know it's done. It's just yeah. like, I, it's out the door. I can no longer uh, look at this thing and then, uh, then it comes back later, like a month later, like, oh, you in, in book form, like, oh, it's beautiful and right. then you forget, you forget all the pain because uh, that's human nature. But, uh, um, but yeah, so I wrote a book and uh, I had someone come up and I didn't think of anything of it because I just felt like no one really 
I cared about it, but some guy from uh, at a conference in Vegas uh, from Germany came up to me and just like, hey, did you write this book? And I was like, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, well, like, I, I led, I, like, there's a group of like 10 people writing it. Like, I was a lead author. Like, it's like, yeah, I learned CSS from this book. I'm like, it's like, oh, that's so awesome. That, yeah, that uh, you just don't know the reach of, of the books and where they go. Yeah. yeah so, and again, the, one of the, one of the nicest things that I, I do get, uh, it doesn't happen often, but when it happens, of people writing to me and saying, you literally changed my life. You, I learned CSS or web development from this book. And as I, I was able to get employed and I was able to, to, you know, I was unemployed for a real long period of time, but I was able to get some work and it, it really changed my life. And your book helped me change my life. That's awesome. How could you, how could you not feel great based upon something like that? So yeah, yeah it's, it's a really great feeling when it goes well. So uh, let me, so this is a team book, I guess. I'm not, I guess Amelia, I guess you would mm-hmm. is she the lead author? Is that what? Oh yeah. Oh, for okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, so what chapters are you, I guess you're, it's about chapters, uh, but how, how is the workload? I just want to, basically what I'm trying to narrow down is like, what, what are you writing for the book? Basically, that's what I'm trying to ask. Uh, so I'm doing, I have done the, uh, SVG as export. So, uh, talking about the, the tools to use and how to get the best results out of them. Um, because again, for understandable reasons, people are focused on tools. So if they use them, they need to know, okay, here's where they go wrong. Here's where the, uh, the output is less than ideal. Here's the, the current bugs in some of them. I'm doing CSS and SVG. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, CSS and SVG, where and how um, CSS presentation attributes mix with CSS properties and how they go. And uh, SVG and animation and interactivity. So how to start to use SVG with um, how to start to make uh, SVG interactives and how to start making them um, animated in various ways and shapes. And also, uh, I think I've got a little bit owed still on SVG and um, data visualization, which I've still got to finish off. Oh, wow. This is a really wide-ranging book. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's thorough. It's, it's a tome. Oh, yeah. What would you say, uh, SVG export? Like, where where are the issues and where are the for for? Because I, I would assume uh, most people just go to Illustrator and, and export yeah, from there. Yeah, and that's that's part of the problem. Now, to be fair, Adobe have done a really good job of, of the latest version of Illustrator in cleaning up the output to a, to a good degree. It was kind of awful for for a, little, a really long time, but they've done some really great work in, in cleaning up that output. That's not to say that the output's perfect by any means, but it's a lot better than what it was. Most of it is just um, okay. Here's where SV, uh, where Adobe doesn't naturally do this stuff or doesn't do it terribly well. So it will sometimes get text a little bit confused, and it will sometimes get um, sometimes or often actually put more code in there than is actually needed. And it doesn't necessarily use CSS in, in the best way possible. Uh, and again, again, it's very much improved upon past versions, but there's always some degree of hand tweaking that you need to do always. And so you need to know where those problem areas lie so that if you come across it, you can tweak it and make it better. And then there's, uh, optimization after that because again the output isn't terribly optimized and you can usually save eh, depending on the file 30 percent on the file size by taking it through some post optimization you know, basically like if i were to do svg right now i'd probably just like go through illustrator uh user like you know improved 
export system, mm-hmm. and then I would probably use, use SVGO for optimization. Mm-hmm. Is that like good? Is that bad? Is there yeah, tools? Yeah, it's good. Um, until you you start to say, well, I want to do this with it, right? Um, so again, to their benefit uh, and to their credit, um, the Illustrator version now does responsive SVG in the sense that it, it takes off the set width and height, which is great until you start to say, oh, but I'm actually using these for icons and you want a set width and height as a, at the very least as a fallback for those icons. So you need to know that that's a problem and you need to know that, okay, you need to reimpose those things because it's, uh, Illustrator doesn't do that automatically anymore. Uh, it used to, but it doesn't do it, do it anymore, but you want it in certain cases. So yeah, it's, it's really great until you start to say, oh, but I need it for this, or I want to do this with it, at which point it starts to become, like all tools, right? It's, it's we're going to take you through the most commonly and uh, most commonly used steps and the most commonly used use cases, but on these edge cases or more common cases, you need to know what to do with it. As, as a, just I want to get an SVG out the door, that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. As a, hey, I want to really optimize things. I want to um, make them alterable so you can you can move stuff into CSS, you can do all sorts of stuff. Then yes, you'll want to intervene at some stage with it. So what's the IE issue with the width and height? Can you expand on that just a little bit? Oh, um, IE uh, was kind of doing the using SVG as a replaced element. So it was basically putting it at a certain width and height by default, not realizing that if you took off the width and height, you were trying to say that it was actually fully responsive and basically putting it in at, I try to remember 150 pixels wide by default. Mm -hmm. And so you have to intervene with it to basically give it a kick in the butt to say, no, this thing should really be 100% of the width of its container. Every other browser would do that automatically. I would would not. Mm-hmm. So um, they've now solved that problem in Edge, which is great, um, but IE still has that issue. So you need to do a couple of things, depending on the vision of IE, to say, hey, yeah, this this is the aspect ratio. And this is the way you should try to handle the thing. Uh, so CSS and SVG, and that's just talking about how to apply styles from external style sheet into SVG, is that right? Right, and also the fact that as part of what I plan to talk about in the seminar, um, of the fact that a lot of the SVG presentation attributes have been moved into CSS as CSS properties. So instance, for a simple example, um, you have R, which is in SVG is the radius of a circle, right? So traditionally, you'd write a circle and you say R equals 10 or whatever units you're trying to use, right? But you can now say, for most browsers, um, R colon 10 inside of CSS, right? So you can write that same thing inside of CSS. And as soon as you write in CSS, that means it's much more changeable. You can animate it. You can do all sorts of things with it, right? So the usual story is just like, for anybody who's, who's been around long enough, the old days of writing HTML where you basically had to write um, all the stuff that you want to do in the HTML in line as properties, right, of, of HTML font equals whatever. Sorry, H1 font equals whatever and color equals whatever. And all that moved into CSS. The same thing is happening with SVG, that, that the stuff that you are traditionally writing for presentation in SVG can be moved in CSS, which makes it much more adaptable, much more fluid, 
much more um, have the ability to play around with it, which is really neat. So do you need to put, I, I hate to be a sticker on this one. So do you need to put units on SVG for R for, the, I guess, is the radius? And uh, depends. Um, if it's fully responsive, then no. So okay. if you're saying that, okay, the canvas area for the view box area is just 500, 500 units across, then it's just 500 units. And you're basically working that that unit space. And all, mm-hmm. it, all it cares about is, okay, well, it's 10 units, so that's or five units, so that's one one-hundredth of this thing across. So um, it's all relative units, essentially. You can use, you absolutely can use um, pixels and inches and centimeters and everything else. Um, but in general, I prefer to just say, okay, it's all relative units and we're just done. Uh, and are these CSS properties, are they standard now in, in the current browser lineup or is it, or it has been? Mostly. It's it's a little bit um, ad hoc. Um, so you'll, you'll find that the browsers are basically catching up. It's this, it's this movement of, again, very similar to the old, bad, bad old days of HTML and the first days of CSS. So it's it's kind of oh yeah we're moving these things across so you will find a little bit of inconsistency between them where you where you start to push things a little bit too far and and browsers browser versions will start to say eh, I don't understand this I want this as a presentation attribute not as a CSS property but you can take things fairly far in the mo- and especially the most recent versions of browsers you can do some really amazing things and then uh, SVG animation is that uh, you know I saw like uh, the first time I saw Sarah Drasner where she was talking about. Uh, SVG animations at CSS DevConf, and she's she introduced uh, GreenSock to me, which I never heard mm-hmm. of before. Which is uh, like I said, an animation library uh, for SVG. Is is that uh, is that what you talk about in that chapter, or is it you talk about native? I animation do or? I do address that, but I I tend to go on to the native stuff as limited as that currently is, because there's still some hinky problems with with native um, animation. Again, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? If you're trying to just do radius animation, you okay, fine, but trying to do anything complex as Sarah does would still suggest that you are going to use a, uh, going to use a framework of some kind um, okay. as she does. So yeah, I definitely get onto that. But again, it's, it's a, it's a question of, okay, how much do you need, right? How much do you need to do? If it's something simple, do it in CSS. It's well supported across browsers. If it's something more complex, you might need JavaScript. If it's something still more complex than that, then you might need green soap or framework, whatever. It's a question of, what's appropriate for the kind of thing that you're doing and not, okay, we're going to take this sledgehammer to crack this you know, mustard seed. It's not that necessi- necessity of using this giant tool to get a tiny little job done. It could be just as easily done in pure CSS. Yeah. Uh, so what type of, um, just so just put a context, like what type of simple CSS animations would you, or like simple SVG animations could you do with just CSS or, or in the um, uh, before, you, so before you go? grab green sock or something like that. Yeah, so I've uh, simple sort of stuff like, for example, simple banner ads, where you're just moving something across from left to right, or you're just moving something um, to make uh, a fade in or a, or a zoom in effect of this getting larger, you could totally do in CSS at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment that you start to do the kind of work that Sarah does with the multiple little components and they're all these wonderful gears working together and, and pushing out laser-eyed pandas, whatever it happens to be, then, yeah, you, you're going to need a framework because there's just so many individual components and they could get confused very easily in modern browser implementation. So, yeah, use a framework to do that. Okay. All right. And I can't understand my own handwriting. 
which I just made, but your fourth topic with SVG and data visualization. Uh, data visualization, yeah. It's actually a V and not a U. Okay. Write right. that down. <laughs> so uh, how's that chapter like? Like how do you approach that? Uh like, it's coming along. So it's the it's a really fascinating area because as you said, that SVG is this drawing mechanism, right? It's this, it's this mark, I, I tend to use it as markup for drawing, right? It's markup for making things. And what that means is that you can take data, like a data feed of anything, and essentially pump it into SVG and say, okay, this data needs to be represented in this way in this pie chart, for instance, or in this um, uh, uh, bar chart, whatever it happens to be, and you almost have this not quite a one-to-one -one relationship because it needs to go through some transformation, but you have this data that immediately turns into something graphical, which is very neat to me. Uh, the problem with it is is getting that transformation between the two sources. So you have the spreadsheet and you want to take that information or from an API or, or whatever else, and you want to take that into some sort of graphical drawing, which is usually where for anything remotely complicated, you start to go into something like D3, for instance, um, which I, again, talk about in the chapter of, okay, take this information and, and push it out in this way because drawing it by hand obviously gets a little bit tricky. And um, especially when you want to try and make it live, right? So you want to try and do, okay, here's the number of tweets coming from this location live oh, as a geographical area. Yeah, you'd use something like D3 to make it happen. I want to say, people, uh, uh, the name of the book again is uh, using SVG with CSS3 and HTML5. It's, uh, it says this release date is November 20, 2016. I yeah. do not believe <laughs> right. no, like, no. that. As to when it's coming out. Yeah, I believe uh, this quarter okay. um, there is a, a preview avail available at the O'Reilly site, so you can mm -hmm. absolutely play a little bit now and get most of the chapters right now. Yeah. And uh, then hopefully we're going to kick it out to the to the publisher this quarter and get it all okay. done and finished off. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, see, I'm at the site right now, so there's like 20 chapters and seven chapters are available right now. It's again, as you say, it's it's early release. It's it even says raw mm. and unedited in the on the Rally mm. page right now. But if I, if I just totally you buy early release now, you can get it. Uh, you get the full copy when it's when it's uh, exactly. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I love O'Reilly. I've been, you know, I've written several books for O'Reilly, right? So oh, I'm I'm so excited to have my first animal book. <laughs> it's it's so great. Oh, what, what is your animal? Is it a parrot? Is it looks like a parrot? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I forget what species of parrot, but yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome. That's cool. Does actually say parrot on there? There's actually a whole. There's like a whole like half a page at least dedicated to the animal. Uh, yeah. Book, so it's really awesome just to see that. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, mine is uh, I have a grizzly bear. It's pretty nice. I like. So oh yeah. That's my book. So, I, I have another animal, but I totally forgot what it is. But uh, the grizzly bear was, was mine. So, cool, awesome. So definitely, I get. Uh, how can people find you and? Uh, Easiest way is to get a uh, hold of me on Twitter um, at Dudley Story, at D U D L E Y S T O R E Y, all one word. Um, they can uh, always contact me through the new code, leave a comment on any um, uh, article or anything they wish. That's the newcode.com. And yeah, that's usually it if people want to get a hold of me.
Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome. Cool. And uh, I'll see you soon at the SVG Summit. things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. And whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Mad men know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it oh so gently. And then when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. <laughs> Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh so cautiously, cautiously for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and, and so it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he has passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night just at 12, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph to think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, for the shutters were closed, fastened through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in, was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I had done, night after night hearkening to the death watches in the wall. 
Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief, oh no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him. Although I chuckled at heart, I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in his bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, it is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor, or it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain, all in vain because death in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he never saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern, so I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length in a simple dim ray like the thread of the spider shot from out of the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the sense? Now I say there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury, as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me? Well, I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If still you think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head, the arms, and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot, whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> 
When I made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion and foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man I mentioned was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed in the enthusiasm of my confidence. I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things, but ere long I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I, I fancied a ringing in my ears. But still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It, it continued and, and became more and more distinct, and I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling. But it continued and gained definiteness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale. But I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, a, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton, and I gasped for breath, and, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the, the noise steadily increased. Now, why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides as if excited to fury. But, but the noise steadily increased, and oh God, what could I do? I, I foamed, I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting, and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it, was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no. No, they heard. They suspected. They knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now again, hark! Louder, 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 louder! Villains! I shrieked! Dissemble no more! I admit the deed! Tear up the planks! Here! Here! It is the beating of its hideous 